1: hey this is trey thank you for joining us for another tuesdays with trey one of the great byproducts of being able to do a podcast is you get to talk to people that Uh, who knows, perhaps ordinarily might not return your call. Uh, I think this guy would. Uh, I've seen him on television, saw him on television a lot. Always measured, always, to me, in control of the facts. Uh, Doesn't talk about things where he doesn't have a factual basis, doesn't get drawn into overtly political conversations. I always liked him. Always liked him. Loved watching him. And then he's been kind enough to come on my show. He's got this combination of backgrounds that, uh, that number one, I miss, and number two, I love, which is former cop, current lawyer. With that, the great Ted Williams, how are you?
2: I am well. I am elated, and I'm super happy to be on with you, Trey. All right, I'm going
1: we'll to start with you like I do everyone else, which is a little bit different. I want you to tell us about life Growing up as a young Ted Williams, what what uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana, if I'm not mistaken. But what what were you like as a kid and teenager, and kind of until you decided to, to to go to college?
2: Well, let me say I was rather rambunctious, should I say? Uh, I grew up in Lake Charles, Louisiana. After having graduated from high school, I went in the military, and uh, from the military, I was with the uh, DC Police Department. Uh, at that stage, I got an undergraduate degree from American University. I got a master's degree from Central Michigan University, and I attended law school in Baltimore, Maryland. After, and I was also, and I left out, I was also a federal agent where I worked organized crime and did uh, food stamps and some other things, investigations. Uh, in the midwest out in the Kansas City area I, and uh for the most part uh that is my law enforcement background I'm a member of the District of Columbia bar as well as the federal bars in the state of of Maryland and the District of Columbia
1: so I think I think people who have seen you on television obviously they know that you have a law degree um, I did not know until I was researching uh, that you not only have an undergraduate degree, also, I, I think it's a master's. So this love of education, was it instilled in you by your parents or was it something you just said, you know what, I'm going to do this because this is what I got to do to get to where I want to get to?
2: No, it's a combination of all of the things you've just said. Uh, education was very much instilled in, uh, to me by my parents. Uh, it was certainly something that I thought for a while in my life, Trey was lacking. I played football in high school, and I thought I was going to be the next great many more on a football field. And while my mind told me I could, was exceptional in football, My body told me I was not and (laughs) that I needed to find a way to go in a different direction. And education was that the direction that I chose. And uh, to be quite honest with you, when I see the banging that these football players are taking, I'm most happy that I went in the other direction.
1: Oh, uh, you know, I. I can't imagine. Uh, those athletes are so fast and so big. Um, I'm sure that you were quick. I'm sure that you were quick, and I'm sure that LSU made a mistake in not recruiting you uh, to come be a running back for them. But I think you made the right decision, Ted. I really do.
2: Thank you, and I applaud your candor, and I wholeheartedly agree with you.
1: All right. I want to know this. I am fascinated People who decide to go into law enforcement, there are a thousand different motivations, some good, some not good. I'm convinced that you went into it for the right reasons, but I don't know the reasons. What drew you into law enforcement?
2: Well, you know, I was stationed at Fort Hood, Texas, and at the time, the District of Columbia Police Department was recruiting for law enforcement officers. And as I've said, at that stage in my life, I did not have even an undergraduate degree. And so law enforcement was the area that I chose because they offered at that time a great deal of money. And I've got to tell you, it was a tremendous amount of money. It was $8,500 a year. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, <my. laughs> so making that tremendous amount of money, uh, I chose to join the DC police department and, um, I I was able to go up the ladder pretty fast uh, within the police department. Uh, Primarily, I wanted to become a plainclothesman, and uh, I worked toward that goal, and uh, I met that goal. Uh, So law enforcement became something that I became somewhat married to, and uh, it has followed me. Uh, even though uh, my law practice is primarily a civil litigation practice, it has followed me uh, throughout my career, and uh, I have, you know, been able to do very well uh, in law enforcement. I uh, thank you for asking that question.
1: Now I'm guessing you you wanted to work your way up to what we call a plain clothes, which is you know out of uniform, not uniform patrol. Did you investigate homicide and or other forms of violent crime uh, w- during your law enforcement career?
2: Absolutely. Uh, I started out as a uniform officer within the police department. I was able to work myself up to work in uh, old clothes, plain clothes. And uh, then I was able to graduate from that into the detective field and I then became uh, and was a homicide detective. In and, and homicide as a detective, you uh, deal with death. Unfortunately, you deal with death. Quite naturally, I had to investigate uh, quite a few uh, deaths in the District of Columbia. It has left an indelible imprintation on my mind some of the various kinds of homicides I observed uh, during those years.
1: And, you know, that's exactly what I want to ask you about, Ted. I, I I did a lot of homicide prosecutions, and to be really blunt about it, it it messed up my faith, probably more than a little bit. But for others, it has the opposite impact. It actually draws them closer to religion, closer to some sort of a belief in the afterlife. What impact did it have on you in the way you? view life and how it's ordered being surrounded by so much death.
2: It leaves an indelible imprintation that life is precious. And um, sadly, you see death in a most direct manner. And, you know, Trader, ones that bothered me most was the death of young people, you have, or uh, in any one of these neighborhoods, and specifically in the Washington D.C. area, and most urban communities, where young people are dying. Uh, uh, just it, and it and it's so sad. A uh, Young kid goes out to get a, bro- a loaf of bread for his mother, and is killed. Young kid trying to make a living selling drugs, killed. Then you look at the younger kids where a father or a mother may kill their own young child. When you look at some of these cases that you have to deal with, it is very traumatic. It's not only traumatic on law enforcement officers, but it's also very traumatic on prosecutors who have to prosecute that kind of crime. And on many occasions, they will go into court and meaning the prosecutors, they'll try that case. And on and, and many occasions, they are successful, but it's the unsuccessful ones that can create a problem in the minds and the hearts of law, of, of law enforcement officers as well as prosecutors, because the person could be as guilty as hell, and there are times where the jury, unfortunately, will find that person not guilty. And uh, that is very, very troubling uh, for law enforcement officers who have to work hand-in-hand with prosecutors to try to bring some of these people to justice.
1: Well, you raised two points that I have to follow up on, which is clearly you've done so well in the courtroom. Clearly you are gifted and talented in front of a jury. So did you ever think about being either a state or federal prosecutor, or did you kind of have your fill of the criminal justice system on that side as a cop?
2: You know, to some degree, I never, contrary to popular beliefs, and maybe as an insult to you, and I do not wish to be insulted, I never wanted to be a prosecutor. I became a defense lawyer, and I worked on that side of the page, I guess you can say. And I, and I did r- relatively well. As a defense lawyer, I decided to go from dealing with uh, criminal law into civil litigation. I found civil litigation to be very much more rewarding to me. And uh, it is really, it takes, and I, I think you know this, Trey, it takes a certain kind of a person to be able to stand up in front of a jury and to be able to establish a rapport with that jury, and to be able to get that jury to move in the direction pursuant and based on the evidence presented uh, in your favor. And uh, you know, I think one of the most troubling know, aspects of my life, should we say, defend a criminal and have that criminal walk out of the court where knowing in my mind that person was perhaps guilty of a crime. But my job as a defense attorney was to uh, get that person off. It it It's a catch-22. You're trying to uh, be a law-abiding citizen, do the right thing, but yet you have a duty to zealously represent your client. Uh, you represented the United States of America. And uh from what I've been told, you did a very extraordinarily good job.
1: Well, uh I, I I loved it, but I but my mind works more like a defense attorney. I see ghosts and shadows and reasonable doubt. And and you lay awake at night trying to trying to kind of bridge the gap that might exist in the jurors' minds. And I, I saw doubt in 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 all of my cases, which I think you know hopefully makes you a better litigator, but you touched on something that you don't have to be a lawyer to to want to be good at connecting with people. You can be a business person, you can be a parent w- What was your key to connecting with a group of people that didn't know you because uh, the members of the jury don't know Ted Williams, so how did you do such a good job connecting with strangers? And these important cases
2: the same thing that trey gowdy has done and that is you establish a rapport you use something trey called common sense uh i can tell you i've always believed you could have all the book learning in the world but if you don't have common sense to reach out and say hello to somebody you're lost and i believe when you're dealing with a jury You've got to get into the mind of that juror. And one of the things you do is you learn as much as you can through the jury sheet about any given juror. And what you're doing is you're establishing a rapport. If you go into court and you act like you're higher and and mightier than anybody else, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. So if you go into court and you're humble, And that jury can see that you're doing your job, but you're humbly doing it. And you're doing it using common sense. You don't have to use every big word in the dictionary. Just talk to the jury. Let the jury know who and what you are. Let the jury get a feel of your client. Your client is on trial. And you must, you must be able to establish that rapport.
0: If you don't, you lose. Simple as that. That's shopify.com slash system.
1: I need you to come speak to my a class at the law school. And, 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 and I tell them the purpose of opening statement is when you sit down, that jury needs to say that young woman or that young man would never lie to me. That is the only purpose of your of your opening statement is to build a relationship with the jury. But you and I could spend all day. I want Before I let you go on the criminal justice system, because you have worked in it, And because you have experience and and I think, Ted, I'd be curious what you think. I I think, you know, as other whether it's politics or other institutions around us kind of lose respect. We need a justice system that is both worthy of respect and, and that people actually do. So what would you do or change about our justice system to make it more worthy of universal respect throughout our country. You
2: no, know, I I really believe that people who serve on juries want to do the right thing. And you know, I think it would be interesting if we could find a way in this country to educate the population as to uh the criminal justice system and the the system as a whole. And and, and like I said, I'm being slightly redundant, but I think when I look at jurors, and if you talk to jurors after a verdict, you'll see that they told heavily and hard and long, and they looked at the evidence. They didn't just say, hey, look, we're in here. We want to get out of here. They are trying to give both sides a fair shake And I think that over a period of time, we need to educate the American population uh, more about the jury and and the meaning of the verdict that they are going to render one way or the other.
1: You know, Ted, I wish I had a nickel for everyone. Um, After I was a federal prosecutor, I was what we call circuit solicitor here, but district attorney everywhere else. The number of people who tried to get out of jury service. And, and, and I mean, you're sitting there thinking these are some really, really important issues that, that, that government is deciding. If you like small government, you ought to love a jury because it's just 12 of them. I, I don't know. Folks, folks just, seem to want to get out of it. And it's so important, as you said, I mean, life and death and freedom and money. If you're doing civil cases, I mean, lots and lots of money. But
2: you're absolutely right, uh, uh Trey. It's a, a combination. Yeah, you do have people who want to get out. But, you know, I found that once a jury is in panel and they are are listening to the evidence and they're listening to both sides. For the most part, they seem to become more engaged, even those who did not initially want to serve. A lot of times, people don't want to serve on juries because they don't want to take off from work. Uh, they think it's going to take an a extended period of time out of their life. And uh, they have other things in their life that are going on other than uh, serving on a jury. But once A judge swears that jury in, and I have seen it over and over when they go in to deliberate. uh, I have found that uh, for the most part, for the most part, jurors are trying to do the right thing. They're wrestling with the evidence, and they're looking at it uh, very strongly. And that's one reason why it is so significant for a prosecutor to put together a case and be able to present that to a jury. But before it even gets to the prosecutor, the law enforcement officer, he has, she, has to be able to put together a case to present to that prosecutor that will make that prosecutor want to go forward with that case. And uh, sometimes I found, unfortunately, that uh, that goes lacking uh, within this uh, system that we call the criminal justice system.
1: Yeah, you put your finger on something, Ted. The relationship between cops and prosecutors, I mean, neither one of them are supposed to work for the other. They work together, but not for one another. You have to have a good relationship, You know, be able to tell the law enforcement officers, you may have probable cause, but you don't have proof beyond a reasonable doubt, which leads me kind of to Idaho. I mean, making an arrest, is important. It's significant, but that's based on probable cause. You got to get beyond a reasonable doubt to get a conviction. When you look at the, what we know about Idaho, um, are there certain, you know, evidentiary pieces that you find more compelling than others? How do you kind of assess what, what, what we learned over the last week?
2: What we've learned uh, with the death out here in Idaho of these four, or University of Idaho students. And when we look at law enforcement and we look at uh, the investigation, what we're learning, I think, in America is we have to, number one, be very patient with law enforcement. Uh, Sadly, we watch too much television where everything is wrapped up within an hour. And that is not something that happens in investigations. And as a matter of fact, let me be the first to tell you that I just wrote an editorial to the Moscow, Idaho Police Department where I said that I was wrong. Uh, I was wrong knowing that an investigation is not going to be conducted and or so, uh, you're going to have it finalized overnight. I was wrong because I also became somewhat frustrated by the pace of the investigation out here in Idaho. And I can tell you that these law enforcement officers from everything that I've been able to glean were working tirelessly behind the scene to try to bring the culprit uh the perpetrator or perpetrators to justice in, to in the case of these four students. And uh, I personally, Trey, met with the chief of police, uh, Chief Fry out here who was very gracious. And I looked that man in the face and said, hey, look, I was one of the people, I have a big audience because I'm on television and I was wrong about the pace of the investigation. I was wrong about saying that a 35-person police department that did not have a homicide in the last eight years or out here in Moscow, Idaho, uh, should not have been in front of the investigation. Uh, The reason I was wrong is because Chief Fry, in his wisdom, bought in the Idaho State Police as well as the FBI, uh, he realizing that his department didn't have, to have a great deal of experience in investigations of this nature, brought those two in, and they were very, very beneficial in bringing uh, the suspect, Brian Kohlberger, to uh, justice here. But Trey, you and I both know that there are two sides of the track. And I talk about them. The first side of the track is finding the perpetrator, collecting sufficient evidence, having what we define in the law as probable cause to make an arrest. And once law enforcement is uh, goes along that track and they've done what they're supposed to do, they're turning it over now to a prosecutor. And that is where this state case of Kohlberger stands right now. It's in the hands of a prosecutor. And that prosecutor is uh, definitely going to have to use law enforcement in order to have a successful prosecution. And that prosecution is going, as you know, Trey, to be based on evidence. It's not going to be based on emotions. It's not going to be... Based on how one of the parents or the relatives feel about what is taking place out here, the prosecutor is only as good as the evidence that has been presented for him to be able to make his or her case.
1: Yeah, you you could not be more correct. And even if you do have compelling evidence, I mean, D, DNA is is compelling if you're able to to find the source of the DNA or exclude the rest of the population to be more precise about it. But still, I mean, you've been in court before. I mean, the chain of custody and how you have to get the sheath into evidence and how you got the sample from Koberger and cell phone information is, is complicated. It's, it's complex and the ability of a prosecutor to explain it in a credible way to the jury you know, look, I'd rather have good facts than a good lawyer. <laughs> Give me yeah. good facts, but it's okay to have both. And if you yeah. have good facts and a good prosecutor uh, and frankly, a good defense attorney, then you're going to get the right result. Uh, most, of, most of the time. All right, before I let you go, I got to ask you this. Anybody, sure. anybody who's thinking about going to law school or maybe somebody said, you know what, I, you know, I decided to go this route. I went into business. I did this. I did that education. But I thought about law. Tell them your favorite part of being a lawyer and then tell them your least favorite part of being a lawyer.
2: My most favorite part of being a lawyer is working with my clients. My most least part of being a lawyer is working with my clients. (laughs) I'm sure your audience is saying, boy, he's being very repetitive here. And (laughs) I can can tell you, the greatest thing I've seen is clients and the joy on their face where you've been successful in some endeavor for them. But I've seen also those same clients uh, uh, go and, Well, let me give you an example. You go out and you get and you win a case where you get a client, let's say, around $3 million. Uh, IRS, I pay taxes on it. Let me make sure we're clear. Uh, But uh, um, then the client is jubilant and happy that there's going to be a resolution and you're going to get that client $3 million. But then that client and, and you are happy with your client. But then that night that client goes home and talks to Aunt Susie and Uncle Joe and a few other people in the community that say, boy, you could have gotten $10 million. And so the client that you love so much on day one and who loved you, by the way, on day one is now coming back to you saying, I talked to Aunt Susie and Aunt Susie says this case is worth $10 million. And then, you, then you're then really caught up into uh, an ambivalent feeling. But to be very honest with you, um, law has been very rewarding for me. Uh, it has been a life's work. Uh, I certainly believe that anybody of any ilk that want to do something positive in society, that the one way they can go is to uh, become a lawyer. And let me be very candid. I didn't corner the market on smartness. Uh, but the bottom line is if you uh, have the tenacity to want to do something and to do it in a very positive manner, you can overcome anything, any obstacles. God, I, 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 I I'm gonna succinctly and quickly tell you this, Trey and your audience. Uh, but in high school, my high school counselor called me in and said, you know, you may want to go and get a job across the river at the plant uh, because my SAT scores were low. And I'm saying this to an audience because I want them to realize that uh, what is in you and what you want to do with your life is is more significant and important than any test. And so I say to you and your audience, and specifically to your audience, Trey, that I wound up taking the LSAT, the Law School Interest Examination. I took that twice, but I knew what I wanted to do. And I'm just thankful to God that he saw fit to uh, allow me to go forward and progress in this field.
1: You know, Ted, that is—it's uh, an inspiration for me to hear that. It reminds me of a colleague, uh, God rest his soul, Elijah Cummings, also with a Baltimore, Maryland connection. Um, and he had a guidance counselor that told him that he needed to make a living with his hands and not his head. And Elijah not only went off to be to become a household name in politics, but he was a really good lawyer before that. So. There will always be doubters in life and people who tell us we can't or shouldn't or won't, but Ted Williams, you're living proof. You, uh, look, part of me wonders how you may have broken Lenny Moore's rushing records. You may (laughs) have broken Barry Sanders, rushing records. I don't know. Maybe some college out there made a mistake by not taking you, but you had a great career. It worked out pretty good for you.
2: Yes, my friend. And, um, I can tell you, I, first of all, I knew Elijah Cummins. Uh, but second of all, I've always put God first. And I can tell you, when God wants something to happen in this life, man, you can step aside. Well,
1: God must have wanted you to be a lawyer uh, and, uh, and help and, and, and law enforcement and all the other things you've done along the way. I cannot thank you enough for sharing your time i would tell you to send me a bill but ain't no way i can afford your (laughs) hourly rate ted i I mean i i I can only imagine i'd have to go sell some of my wife's jewelry to pay half half hour rate for you
2: irs don't believe anything that trey gowdy is saying
1: Oh my heavens. I can't I can't wait to talk to you again, whether it's on a podcast or television. God bless you and you take care of yourself, okay?
2: God bless you and your audience. And Trey, you're doing a wonderful thing in this life and you have been blessed. You have been in the Congress or you're now with us at Fox News. All I can say is you go guy.
1: Thank you so much, Ted, and thank you all for sharing part of your day with us. God bless you.